Hello, and welcome to the debut episode of Nobody Asked For This, a pop culture podcast hosted by two women, freshly graduated from the London School of Economics, who can't stop arguing about movies. I'm Marilyn Minton, my co-host is Aishna Sarkar. Join us as we debate and lament what Hollywood is giving. Nobody Asked For This, Episode 1. Tar versus Top Gun. Why are you putting on a voice? <laughs> am I lowering it? Am I am I lowering it so that I don't have um female? You're Elizabeth Holmesing it. That's what you're doing. <laughs> what? Did you watch this week? <laughs> <laughs> All of this is going to stay in. So apart from the uh, season three of the OC, uh, the most interesting thing that I watched this week was Casablanca in theaters. It was playing at um, my local independent movie theater for its like 80th anniversary. Of course um, you did. <laughs> Since yeah, the girl in we'll- the A24 baseball cap. <laughs> Well, I was thinking, like, where else could you see one of the greatest films of all time in in movie theaters? Um, I might have been the only person thinking that because um, my friend and I went and we were the only two people in the theater. Oh. um, Which has, yeah, and the only other time that has ever happened was when me and my ex went to see Cats, the musical, the movie. (laughs) I also saw Cats with my ex. This is why we are friends, but that is just one of the many similarities between Casablanca and Cats, the musical, the movie. <laughs> I've recently had an urge to rewatch Cats. I think because of my like newfound, absolute, undying adoration for Taylor Swift, I need to go back and understand her role in it better. That's so interesting. As a Swifty, uh, well, a reformed Swifty, a waning Swifty, um, that was probably the beginning of the end for me. That's the beginning <laughs> of the end, and that was just the taster I needed. God. I also saw a movie this week where I was one of two people in the cinema. <laughs> An extremely depressing <laughs> experience. I headed on down to the Lemley in Santa Monica, again, an mm-hmm. independent movie theater, when I told my boyfriend that's right we're pretentious when i told him i was going there instead of the amc he looked at me (laughs) like i'd asked if he wanted to pluck out his eyelashes um i proceeded to walk in (laughs) and though there were only two of us she was sitting in my seat (laughs) and this woman looks at me and goes am i in your seat i was like i don't know it's not a big deal (laughs) It's not serious. Did you just, like sit right next to her? I sat. I would have right sat right next to her. I sat right oh. in front of her. <laughs> um, and I saw a film called Nanny, which is going to be out on Amazon Prime tomorrow. And this is like a you know the next elevated horror, <laughs> a phrase that people are using a lot these days. It won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance last year, and now Amazon is releasing it nearly a year later. Follows a nanny uh, who's a recent immigrant, and she's working for this obnoxious, wealthy family. And she's teaching this little girl, but, you know, there's something sick in the house. Uh, It's a strong film. I think the filmmaker 
is is about to pop off she just got announced to be directing the night of the living dead sequel um so definitely one to watch people should watch this film tomorrow let me know what they think i think maybe seeing the film with only one other person in the middle of the afternoon on a weekday (laughs) i was scared when i walked out and i didn't know if it was from the film (laughs) or from the dying of independent cinema well i'm i'm so glad that you know, these three films, The Nanny, <laughs> The Nanny with Fran Drescher. Just Nanny. When you, add, when you add the, it sounds like a comedy. Should we tell our audience a little bit about ourselves? This is our debut episode of Nobody Asked for This. And why is it called that? <laughs> because, because nobody asked for this. You know, we keep making that joke, but people have asked me to start a podcast. <laughs> Who, your dog doesn't count. Who are these people? You sound like Donald Trump. No, many people are saying Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Do not mention his name. People have asked, some of my Instagram followers, my mother, you know, (laughs) casual strangers on the street, they've asked. So for me, this podcast title refers to more than us and what we're doing here. It really refers to everything that's happening in Hollywood because there is so much they are giving that I did not ask for. Long <laughs> run times, horrible marketing campaigns, boring plots, <laughs> sad aging stars. I don't know. What is the title? Oh, you're describing the movie Tar? <laughs> I do not accept that response. I do not accept that. <laughs> um, the title means to me... Well, your interpretation of it is far better than mine. My interpretation of it is just um, nobody asks for another podcast about two people chatting about films. But I think what makes it different is that we're not film bros. We're film hoes. Um, And I think another important difference is we didn't go to film school. We're not those pretentious assholes. We got our master's from the London School of Economics (laughs) and political science. (laughs) So (laughs) we are highly uneducated. Oh, my God. We met at the one... The one film class that beloved school offered. Uh, we are new master's graduates, and it does not feel the way that I thought Ooh. it might feel to say those words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, a funny story about how uh, we first met. Um, our first notable interaction, I think, Marilyn, was when you messaged me in a Zoom chat during a lecture uh, <laughs> to call me pretentious for wearing an A24 hat. Which and she's I think wearing just f- today. Yes, but just a few months later, you invited me to come to Cannes with you. So. I surely did. I surely did. It was the start of a beautiful friendship, to quote Casablanca. Well, and I think that we first bonded. We discovered that we disagreed on almost everything uh, when it comes to yes. contemporary cinema. Yes. We are at... <laughs> We are at war with each other on taste. But it is rare to find someone that you disagree with so vehemently and still respect them. (laughs) But we did find that we align on our love for The Bachelor, for the Kira Knightley 2006 version of Pride and Prejudice. 2005. 2005, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll take it. Fifth grade. (laughs) Um, And our love for Glee. Yes, yes. We both, we bonded over P- our PTS Glee. Um, and I think that that is the best foundation for a podcast on pop culture. 
Absolutely. <laughs> and I agree with your take. I was trying to do some research on what our competing podcasts were, and they are all film bros. Mm-hmm. So if they're all film bros. If you're a feminist, like and subscribe. And guess what? We're not only film bro, or we're not only uh, not film bros. We're marginalized identities. I'm brown, and Marilyn's unemployed. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow. So we need this. She's covering her mouth, laughing. I love it. Let them know. Let them know who you are. All right. I think that's enough about us. Let's head to our. Well, meeting. yeah. I just, I would just like to say we've been laughing and joking, but I would just like to say, um, I am so excited that you asked me to do this with you. Um chatting about films and pop culture with you is truly one of my favorite things to do and uh this is this is just i don't know this is just such a fun exercise in in friendship in being judgmental um and laughing and i've always been told i have a face for podcasts so i'm really excited to see how this (laughs) this works out for me with that so on that note well i'm excited that you're taking the leap and joining me i have no idea what i'm doing i'm a budding fake micro micro influencer um but i'm ready to put some stuff out there and see what sticks um so it's the end of the year december 15th we are in the thick of award season personally it does not feel that way to me because i don't feel like i've seen any films (laughs) that are worthy of awards this year like a couple i've seen interesting films but it doesn't feel like one of those fall seasons where you're just dying to go to the movies, right? No, but, um, well, that's a lie. I'm always dying to go to the movies. (laughs) (laughs) Fair, fair. I I just, I recently, I wanted to go to the movies um, tomorrow night, and I looked up all the movies playing, and I was like, I've seen all of them. (laughs) You wanted to go so badly that you saw Casablanca alone. (laughs) No, I saw it with a friend. (laughs) Yes, yes. But uh, but I do agree that this has been. I mean, I gave only I'd give only one movie five out of five stars uh, this year um, of the movies coming up. I don't know how excited I am about them um, of the Golden Globe nominations. You know, the beginning of awards season. Did you see those? I refuse to look because yeah, I. That's fair. So I thought that we canceled the Golden Globes, and then people we started. Did. Po- I thought people, and then people were posting like. Oh my god, like, uh, Megan, Megan Fahey from White Lotus didn't get a nomination. And I was like, yes, she was the best part of the show. Um, two, wait, we're reading Golden Globes nominations again? Like, are they back on a telecast? I thought we all understood, we found out that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is like a hundred random dudes. Yeah, so they are, quote-unquote, doing the work. Like, they're, mm. like, a white lady influencer's, like, social media page. They're listening and learning, and yes. uh, they've come back uh, reformed, except, and but I, and so now they're hosting their first Globes, you know, of, like, the new and improved Globes. and But they gave Brendan Fraser a pity nomination, and he openly was like, I'm not going to go to <laughs> the, you know, the institution that besmirched <laughs> my name and assaulted me. Um, and a lot of the interesting movies, so just the movies that were uh, nominated aren't interesting, but the movies that were snubbed are because the Globes really fell off because of multiple allegations of sexual assault and racism. And the three major movies that were nominated for pretty much nothing was The Woman King, Women Talking, and She Said, 
(laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I'll admit it. Haven't seen any of those three. (laughs) You've seen seen all three. three. You're a misogynist. No, I'm a misogynist is what we I'm call. a misogynist and I barely even like film. Um, no, I'm embarrassed <laughs> I didn't see The Woman King. It is one of the few, like, non-franchisee films that did really well this year. It made, like, 70 million domestically. So I do need to see that. I, I will defend myself that I was in the middle of moving when it was in theaters. I will not defend that I haven't seen She Said. I could not care less. You could not... It doesn't matter that I have an AMC subscription and it is uh, free, essentially, for me to go. I do not need to see a rehashing of the Harvey Weinstein story. I don't even know if that's what it is. Um, Is it worth seeing? Tell us. I think that uh, the book, she said, is one of the most interesting pieces of contemporary journalism that's come out in a really, really long time. Um, Just the work that was necessary in order to bring... uh, this man down and bring to light Mm -hmm. this horrible problem. I think Hollywood making a self-congratulatory flick about bringing down Harvey Weinstein when it clearly hasn't fixed the rampant sexual assault and power problems in Hollywood is not a good, like, is not a good thing. But, like, Brad Pitt produced this movie. Like, Brad Pitt got drunk and shook his wife and hit his kid on a plane. Like, (laughs) I didn't realize that it is a plan B film. Um, mm-hmm. I'm with you. I think I haven't read the book, she said, but I agree with you on just generally that journalism, the work that was done was so stunning and so important. And I don't know why we need a fictionalized version of that right now. And I also I haven't seen the film, but to me, there's nothing surprising or interesting about that. We know who the villain is. And as you pointed out, the villains are still at large in Hollywood. <laughs> the system has not changed. I will say the one thing is, I think the film wasn't meant for people that had kept up to date with the Harvey Weinstein scandal as it was happening. It was definitely meant for people who uh, had seen it after the fact or had heard about it after the fact. Um, and two, sorry, in, in did one, those people one... did the are those people going to go to the movies to see? She said, clearly not. <laughs> And, and two, the movie did emphasize, usually in these films, be it Spotlight or All the President's Men or, or um, Dark Waters, uh, the heroes are the journalists, but this film made the interesting choice of having the women who decided to come forward um, be, be the heroes and get the speeches, which is great until you see produced by Plan B Entertainment at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I still want to work there. Well, the last female-centric film that I've missed (laughs) that I'm actually very, very excited to see is Women Talking, uh, written and directed by Sarah Pauly, who is one of the most brilliant filmmakers, I think, working today, and very obviously hasn't gotten as many chances as her male counterparts have to make films like this. Um, I have the screener upstairs. I was going to watch it last night. Uh, but I was crying the entire day about the state of the job market and um, decided a film <laughs> decided a film about abuse was not the move. Uh, but I think today I'm going to put it on. And yeah, I would, l- you know, 
Obviously, I'd like to go see it in theaters at the same time, considering the material. I think it feels best for me to take this one sitting down at home. I think that, for me, Women Talking was just... Um, mm. It's it's interesting. I don't... We've had discussions about like watching as a brown person versus watching as a white person before. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, Women Talking, which is was based in a book, I think, written in 2017, 2018, like the height of the Me Too movement. Women Talking was just a bunch of white women talking about the trauma that they've been through, which I never want to diminish that. That is, that is truly it's a, fair it's a bad thing. You heard it here first. You know, <laughs> women going through trauma is a bad thing. But it just felt so it felt like our culture had moved, has already moved so far past mm. that conversation that seeing a bunch of white women talking in a circle about, you know, confronting their faith versus just the horrible abuse they suffered and how tough that was for them just seemed a little like, it felt like, oh, this was made in 2017, 2018, at the height of mm. the Me Too movement when people first realized women could be assaulted <laughs> on a systemic basis. Well, I can't wait to watch it later today and argue with you about it um, in defense of white women talking. Speaking of, do you want to get into our uh, film debate? Best film of the year? I would love to. So, like I said, here we are at the end of the year. It's time to crown our best films of the year, which when I first conceived of this podcast, I did think other films might come along that I would like more. <laughs> but I have my selection. I have my selection. Uh, it's Tar, I... everybody. No, it's not. It's I'm Tar. Sorry. That... I'm sorry, you have the floor. <clears throat> Thank you so much. Hang this on, pause picture. for a second so that you have time to cut in a snippet from Tar. If you're here, then you already know who she is. Lydia Tarr is many things. As a conductor, Tarr began her career with the Cleveland Orchestra, Chicago Symphony Orchestra, the Boston Symphony Orchestra, until she had last arrived here at our own New York Philharmonic. In 2013, Berlin elected Tarr as its principal conductor, and she's remained there ever since. Lydia Tarr has also written music for the stage and screen. She is one of only 15 EGOTs, meaning those who have won all four major entertainment awards. Thank you for joining us, Maestro. Thank you. I can reenact it. I can reenact it. Distinguished starring Kate Blanchett, as you've never seen her before. In a world. Sorry, that's not how the trailer goes. Honestly, I think if the trailer had been like that, it would have made more money. But we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Okay, here it is, my pitch for Tar as the best film of the year. So, give a little background. It's written and directed by Todd Field. This is actually only his third film, and I will admit, I did not see his previous two. Have you seen? Have you seen them? Yes, I have. <laughs> this is why we have her here. This is her, this is his first film in like 15 years also, yeah, 15, 16 years. Yeah, I was really surprised by that. His debut film is called In the Bedroom, like from back in 2000. It was a Sundance darling nominated for five Oscars, including Best Picture. And then he did another film called Little Children starring Kate Winslet in 2006. 
Um, and he hasn't done anything since then, which tells you a lot about how hard it is to make movies like this uh, in the 21st century. So it stars Kate Blanchett um, as a fictional character, Lydia Tarr. She's a composer and a conductor. And there is just so much that I loved about this film. I'm going to sound so pretentious, but I was really upset when I first found out it's two and a half hours long because that is my number one thing that nobody asked for in this time. I think it should be illegal to have films be this long, but I was enthralled. I did not notice the length. Um, it opens with two quite long scenes of dialogue that are essentially Kate Blanchett monologuing, which my co-host is eye-rolling at right now. I'm sorry, I fell madly in love with her. Obviously, I already knew that Kate Blanchett is amazing, but this was such a tour de force, and for me, it's such a pleasure to see long scenes of dialogue as though I'm watching a play. And for me, just having the camera on her was enough. Um, it was enough to hold me in. Um, the film is very much a meditation, I think, on Me Too. But it takes a really unexpected direction by having it be about a woman. A lesbian woman. Um, there have been some grumblings of, is this movie... <laughs> homophobic not a lesbian I, woman not a lesbian woman i don't think that it is um i don't think that it is i think in comparison with something like she said which i had no interest in seeing as we've covered this for me was really interesting because you're left really thinking you've been dropped behind the gaze of someone that you didn't quite realize as a predator and it shows how, how sex and power and hubris kind of infects all of us at work and in art. Um, not just big old scary men, but it, it could be Kate Blanchett. Um, and it's, it's like a Greek tragedy. I'm not going to reveal how it ends or where it goes. Um, but I was thrilled and I felt, I saw it in October. This was a horror film for me. <laughs> My skin was crawling. The ceilings are so low. It's so dark. Berlin looks like a, a dead, desolate land. It's like I am legend as she's sprinting through the park. Great movie. <laughs> My first date was at I was to I Am Legend. And that's gonna halfway be halfway through yeah. episode. <laughs> a whole episode on first date movies. Mine is Freedom Writers. <laughs> With Hillary Swank. Oh, oh, I'm familiar. And Patrick Dempsey is the husband. Um, yes. I went on like a triple date in the sixth grade. It was me, my sixth grade boyfriend, Alex Shulman, and like two other of the like popular couples. And I put all our mm -hmm. initials in like my, my aim away message at the time. Just a side note. You're so old. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Shut up. Um, so that's my pitch. And I know you... You have different feelings about Tar. Well, I mean, first of all, that was just like a very passionate and eloquent um, uh, expression of your opinions of why Tar is such a great film. Um, and something that I really love when discussing movies with you is how brave you are um, being so secure in your opinion when, when it's it's wrong. And <laughs> I really respect that. And there it goes. There it goes. The punch. <laughs> Listen, I, look, I understand Tar is objectively 
a well-made film. I'm not denying that. The Oscar is is Thank it's you. Kate Blanchett's to lose at this point. Um, but I think that I like respect and appreciate it far more than I I like it. Um, so, like, I don't. <clears throat> I think the movie. You said that it was a, it was a take on 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 power and corruption and hubris and cancel culture. I think that the film works better as a vehicle for Kate Blanchett to get her like seventeenth Oscar than a searing mm-hmm. examination of power and cancel culture. I think it's actually a rather shallow take on cancel culture and the woke youth. And I think it's a typical egotistical asshole genius suffers a fall from grace kind of story. Um, and I also think the movie itself doesn't know what it's trying to say. Is it is it condemning asshole geniuses like Lydia Tarr? Is it is it making us sympathize with her um, because she's a lesbian? Are we supposed to? Uh, I said that aggressively because she's a lesbian. Are we supposed to be like minorities can be predators too? Wow. Um, I think the film wants to be really important, and I think obviously it's hitting a nerve. I know I'm in the minority, but I just find the overall message so 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 muddled. Like okay. The way the Juilliard video, the way that a plot point was they edited the Juilliard video to make her look bad, quote unquote, her unedited let's, video, like behavior. Let's set yeah. the scene. Let's set the scene. Okay. So okay. the second scene of the film is her teaching a master class at Juilliard, Kate Blanchett. And she essentially rips apart a student, a young man of color who has decided to conduct a piece by a new composer. And she's schooling him on, I don't know, why aren't you playing Bach or some other old white guy? And he explains why, you know, why he's not interested in that as a person of color in the 21st century trying to do something new in the classical film industry. And later, um, a recording of that comes out that's edited together that makes her look not so good. So go ahead. That's the context. A recording is edited to make her look bad. But in that scene itself, she looked bad. The student was bringing up very valid points about being a minority and the uh, need for diversity in the very, very white world of classical music. And she was essentially attacking him by going, no, you need to look past the race. There's nothing wrong with white men composers. You need to respect Bach. This is really interesting to me because a couple things you said that one, you don't know what the film was trying to say. Are we meant to be sympathetic to her or not? To me, that's such a strength of the film that I don't think it comes down. I I think it says she got what was coming. And I also, I found that that scene of her, it starts off, you're kind of with her, you, you see what she's saying, but then a little bit, and just in terms of as a student, studying to be a composer you do need to listen to the greats like I did have to watch I don't know I had to watch Rear Window again and again doesn't mean I have to make movies that are only (laughs) in the style of Hitchcock so I think that point stands as someone who studied art in school but I felt I very much felt that the film was allowing or guiding me to say, oh, God, she took that way too far. And I when the edited thing came out, I thought that's exactly what she said. <laughs> she was she if a teacher did that in a class with me, I would probably report her. Um, so I get, I find that interesting. I think it's interesting that you think the film 
being and having ambiguous or mixed feelings about Lydia Tarr's character is a strength of the film um, and is intentional. I thought that the film was so smug and pretentious and know-it-all in all other aspects and so meticulous in all other aspects that I find the fact that they're ambiguous about this, I, I, I kind of refuse to believe that that's the intention, especially because of just like the press tour and all of that stuff. I think that the film thinks it's saying something really, thinks it's saying something about cancel culture. I don't think it's leaving it open to interpretation for the audience to, to I wish that if that was the case, I wish I felt like the ambiguity was on purpose rather than just a white dude who was writing this movie in the rise of women having opinions and during Hollywood. Um, I think, I mean, I think that um, he's American, but European art cinema is so much about ambiguity and ambivalence. And he's I, American. I felt that. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, you mentioned the press tour. Are you referring to, like, are there things that you saw the director say or filmmakers in panels that make you think that way? It's less what I saw and more what I'm not seeing. I think that I find it interesting that nowhere in the press run or in the film itself does it confront Kate Blanchett's own ambiguity and journey and willingness to work with and defend Woody Allen until the late 2010s. Mm -hmm. um, I think that if they did confront that at any point, mm -hmm. I think then that would really, really support your point of the movie making it purposely ambiguous so that the audience can come up with its own interpretation as opposed to um, look at us, we should clap at ourselves uh, for creating a movie such as this. Well, tell, you told me a little bit about the room in which you saw the film. Yes. Oh, well, just one last thing. Also, speaking of the Juilliard scene, I just want, I hate when movies create the dumbest straw men characters that rarely exist in real life. A Bach-hating, pan-gender, POC Juilliard student is like something yeah. out of like a Tucker Carlson wet dream Literally. of like a, a totally. liberal bogeyman. Like, it just, I just, I hate that. Okay. I, the, the way I feel about Tar is strongly dictated by the environment in which I saw it in. I somehow find, found myself in a uh, BAFTA screening of the film. That's what <laughs> um, we do. We sneak into these spaces. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so for people that don't know, BAFTA is sort of like the British equivalent of the, of the uh, Academy. Um, and somehow I just I found myself there. Me with my little A24 hat. <laughs> was Did there with a bunch it? of people who were dressed black tie. <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, and I watched it with a room full of majority uh, white, upper class British people. And they, I just, I was in a, <laughs> I was in a room with people who clearly, I don't think were taking the right message away from the film, whatever that message mm -hmm. is. Uh, they clapped during the initial Juilliard scene. They, they clapped so at everything. Weird. That's why uh, I moved out of England. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, like, and so I just think that why, and then and then they would. It was just like they were rapturous at, at the ending. They they loved it. Um, and I just I don't think there was an ounce of reflection or introspection um, at that theater. And I just think that that the movie. I don't know. It just left a bad taste in my mouth. Where the mm -hmm. movie clearly is, if it's trying to critique this kind of person, but it clearly doesn't seem to be resonating resonating in the like way that it wants to resonate with that type of person it just i don't know it just all felt a bit posh and smug to mm -hmm. me i think how we see films and who we talk about them afterward 
with informs it so much. So I saw it with my mother, who's my favorite person to see films with, um, because she's very, she's so smart, but she's also so open to younger opinions on things and my opinions on things. So she's a professor and her response to the Juilliard scene was partially that, you know, this is what we're afraid of as professors, um, that something's going to be twisted and this thing is going to come out, you know, so she could have very much had that sort of interpretation of it. But we had such a great discussion on like, know that the way she handled that scene was not appropriate. And, you know, being a being a brilliant artist is not enough to justify acting this way. And we talked about professional relationships that had turned sexual and and what are the like thorny implications of that and what does it mean to be a woman and if she's in a room and she's the most powerful person in the room like how does she wield that power um so I think for me that like really informed that I found the movie ambivalent and ambiguous um but all we can take from films is like our own interpretation of it and I hear you on all of these things, and it's possible that they meant to say what your crowd (laughs) thought, which was, oh no, poor Kate Blanchett. I took away (laughs) something really different, Um, and I think other people took away that it's long and boring. (laughs) I think. (laughs) Okay, I will say, just just quick, quick note, two hours and 40 minutes. A ridiculous length. You felt how long it was. No movie should be over two hours and 11 minutes. That is my rule. There is no exception. There is no exception except Amadeus, which is a better movie about power and corruption and classical music than Tar. You guys should all watch Amadeus. I am not going to disagree with that. No Amadeus slander here. Um... (laughs) I will say one thing. Um, Showing the crew and the credits at the beginning of the film yes. was a very nice touch. I thought that we loved it. Uh, to sh- yeah, to show that a piece of art is not just one person, not just one name, but hundreds. I think that was the most effective statement that the movie made. What a beautiful point to come from my co-host who hated Tar. I wish I'd made that point. Yes. <laughs> do you want to absolutely- cut it? Do you want to cut it? Do you want to make? It? Do you want to make that point? We can edit. Absolutely this. not. Classic white woman taking the words. <laughs> <laughs> all right it's it's time to give you the floor tell me tell me your top film of the year right well tar is fine and good whatever um so my best film of the year uh the only film i gave uh five stars to on letterbox was a film that i was uh lucky enough to see at the Cannes film festival i hate uh, you and that i film... hate you i hate you <laughs> Tell them what you did. Tell them what you did. That film is a little indie flick called Top Gun Maverick. What the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. And we're off. Here we go. In three, two, one. We're going into combat on a level no living pilot's ever seen. Not even him. You think up there you're dead. Believe me. 
cut in to make this about me because that's what I do. Let me tell you guys something. I was living in London and I decided I wanted to go to Cannes by myself. There was no one to go with me. I found this little online program where if you're under 29, yes, I'm revealing my age, uh, you can go to Cannes for free. And uh, side note, I don't know, sign up for that if you live over there. I can't afford to go again. And I said, you, I gatekeep that. I tell people like, how do you how do you go to Cannes? I'm like, who knows? I'm just a name in the industry. I don't tell them that. It's really I'm not easy. gatekeeping. Anyone can go. You wrote a joke. Yeah. So I invited my I dear did. friend, my dear co-host, who wrote a, a oh. joke essay to the prestigious Cannes Film Festival accreditation office. They graciously offer her a last minute badge. I go to the festival. She shows up like two days later. I'm like, wow, I've been alone for days walking around in beautiful dresses with no one to take photos of me. What amazing film. Nope, my floor. What amazing film are we going to see tonight? And she says, hey, would you be mad at me if I went to the multiplex? to see Top Gun Maverick? And I said, no, but I will never see that <laughs> film. I still haven't seen it. And it's your fault. It's not because I'm like, oh, I, I don't, everyone says it's good. I believe them. Everyone says it's good. My mom said it's great. I trust my mom. I won't see that movie because of what you did to me. Go ahead. <laughs> I had a great time. Listen, Top Gun Maverick is directed by who cares who cares no one no, cares honestly i have who no idea directed by? no one cares and it stars tom cruise miles teller with a mustache and glenn powell shirtless on a beach it is genuinely one of the best movie going experiences i and many others around the world have had in a very very long time uh the plot also who cares it's a sequel to the film top gun a film I do not care about that was like about gay pilots or something. I don't know. It was made in the 80s. It's a legacy sequel. And honestly, plot doesn't matter. The plot is Tom Cruise wants to save movies. And you know what? And you know what? And you know what? He did. He did. He saved them. He saved movies. And Marilyn, you know what? He saved me too. He really did. Um, I could look, look I, get, I could get into the tricks of the screenplay, how it, how it constantly tells you the mission so that by the end, you know the game plan by heart and can focus on the smaller character moments. How how all of the stunts and the practical effects really, really make a difference in this age of CGI. How exhilarating it is to watch it, um, to not think, but just do the movie going experience. Um, don't get me started on the beach scene because I don't know what the rating for this podcast is. Like, I don't know mm. if it's general audiences it's, um... or, or adults only. No, so it's, I will it's, just say uh, it's not explicit. We want to have as many listeners as possible. This is a family-friendly <clears throat> okay. podcast. There's a lovely scene on the beach that really is great. Um, listen, scene, okay, including, including who? Tom Cruise and Glenn Powell. Tom Cruise and Glenn Powell and like Miles Teller with a mustache. Listen, okay, Top Gun Maverick is is kind of the exact opposite of Tar, which is a meticulously crafted, incredibly complex um, film. It, this is a this is a very well. And of course, Tar's, Tar is a bad movie, and Top Gun's a great movie. That's the main. No, it's just listen. Tar is, and a lot of these prestige films, um, a lot of films are, are incredibly complex, and also talk down to the audience and assume that the film is smarter than the audience, and um, assume the audience is dumb. Uh, and Top Gun Maverick isn't. It's a simple movie 
but it doesn't assume the audience is dumb. It's not like Marvel, which requires 30 plus hours of movies and TV shows to understand the plot. Um, it doesn't dumb down the stakes or have unintelligible action scenes. Um, and it doesn't do that thing that a lot of movies with certain stars, <clears throat> Ryan Reynolds, uh, do, where they undercut every single emotional moment with a joke or like mm. an ironic quip. Top Gun Maverick is a deeply sentimental and earnest film. Like, sure, the dialogue is all video game speak, but you will find yourself swept along and cheering at, at <laughs> these mo- these pivotal moments. Like, um, I love that. We're gonna, I think that's such a good yeah. point about a lot of contemporary franchise action films like undercutting themselves instead of letting it be this genuine earnest like love for filmmaking which a vehicle starring Tom Cruise like that is what that is supposed to be it should sweep you away so I'm intrigued by that I really think that you should watch it listen I came back from Cannes and I immediately like two days later uh took my flatmate, dragged her to the theater to watch Stop. Top Gun. you saw it again? Too. Yeah, and it was even better the second time. And she then loved it. She didn't want to love it because it's something that I love and I live with mm-hmm. British people and they're very prickly that way. But she absolutely loved it. And later, all of my flatmates watched it, openly told me they wanted to hate it. They've all seen it multiple times now. They've seen it about three times now, each, all of them. Um, because it is just such a good movie experience these are very leftist british people and every time they see it they go we want to join the u.s navy um, oh my god <laughs> tom cruise tom cruise has no interest in finding that dude's wife but he has a major interest in saving movies and i think um that segues really like you know <laughs> really well into i guess the next phase of this podcast you wanted which is our movies dying and how do we save them top gun 2 is the answer well um the best film of the year i can't i can't disagree with that um just to give some numbers top gun has made 718 million dollars domestically and 1.5 billion billion with a b worldwide um which is a number that i cannot comprehend um in comparison tar has sold 5.3 million dollars in ticket sales um according to the new york times it costs at least 35 million to make so that is not great they'll be lucky they'll be lucky to break even there's an article in the new york times that absolutely enraged me uh written by brooks barnes uh which is a fun name (laughs) brooks barnes (laughs) who's that guy um i want your job Anyway, he wrote this uh, horrendous piece called Highbrow Films Aimed at Winning Oscars Are Losing Audiences. Subheading is the kind of critically praised dramas that often dominate the award season are falling flat at the box office, failing to justify the money it takes to make them. And he calls this whole fall season carnage, in quotes, for movies that aren't sequels or superhero franchises. Um, And he lists films like Tar alongside Armageddon Time, another slow, quiet movie that I didn't see. He lists She Said and Devotion, which cost over $100 million, um, and it's generated $14 million in ticket sales. Not too comforting. And even Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans um, only collected $5.7 million in its first month of limited play. I'm sure it's going to make more as we head into the Christmas season. I found this article uh, enraging (laughs) because it starts off, it doesn't defend its premise, it starts off by saying that these movies 
aren't making money, not for lack of quality. Apart from Tar, I have to disagree. <laughs> because as someone who loves film and loves these grown-up films, as they uh, so pretentiously call them, I haven't seen most of these movies. <laughs> I am not You are part of the problem. I know. I'm part of the solution if they would hire me. <laughs> um... These are not quality <laughs> films, and I don't blame audiences for not wanting to spend 20 bucks plus parking and some horrible $10 popcorn to go see them at the movies um, instead of waiting for streaming. And I think it's also a huge failure of marketing. And I, I think that it's clear that it's a marketing issue because The Whale, starring Brendan Fraser, produced by A24, just set the record for the best limited opening since 2020. Now, it only side showed... Note on the wh- sorry, side note yeah. on The Whale, um, I saw it at the London Film Festival. Um, it is not a good movie, but I really I want Brendan Fraser to win the Oscar. And he probably will. Um, no, I yeah. don't want to see The Whale. Um, I, can't, I can't understand how this film could not be... Um, guilty of fat phobia so i'm just leaving it i'm leaving it behind but anywho um this movie did really well in its first weekend out for a specialty film at this level and i think that's because a24 has done such a successful job of having its logo and its branding and its commercials speak to audiences and it makes their films feel like event cinema even when they're not sequels and franchises and i think that if somebody could have put together some great TikTok trailers of Tar that hyped up Kate Blanchett, hyped up the the intense drama and romance of conducting classical music. I really think you can get more people to block see you. Films. Whatever, block me. Um, <laughs> and then I think they just have to make better films that appeal to young people and that are f- also that are fun, like. It's such a slog. It's such a slog out there. I don't know. What do you think is going on? I think that um, I think that articles like these, I mean, these are, I guess, educated culture writers doing this, but I just, I think that, look, the, the movie, this is old news. I mean, what was it, 2011, 2012 was the first year where all of the highest grossing movies in America were franchises or sequels. And those years had The Master, The Beginners, Moneyball, the best sports movie of all time. Um, which stars Brad Pitt. I'm a hypocrite. Um, but like, it's just theaters have been dying for, for a while. And and yeah, I mean, I, I do you think it's a marketing issue? It's a studio issue. I think it's a streaming and distribution issue. Babelman's Armageddon Time, they're going to streaming like two, three weeks after theatrical run. So obviously, people would just wait to see it at home. Meanwhile, Titanic was in theaters for 10 by Big Jim, who uh, I'm so excited for Avatar 2. Um, <laughs> it was in th- theaters for 10 months you know but i also i think that like a lot of these these more highbrow films that's kind of the point of award season like um tar or or the fablemans or banshees of an assurance they're they're going to what typically happens is that the golden globes happen they get they're they're in the headlines a lot they get like mm-hmm. seven or eight nominations they get a couple wins and then people go oh hey i kind of want to go see this and then that's how that's how these sort of I hate this prestige films make money or survive. And I I hate it as well. I hate it as well. I think it's a streaming issue. I think that uh, movie studios should say my my film is staying in theaters 
But I also think like the demand is there. The menu made quite a lot of money. I, I think that with the whale, I don't know how much of it was A24 and how much of it was Brendan Fraser's on this incredible comeback tour. And he, to a certain demographic, he is so closely tied with so many childhood and teenage memories that people really want him to succeed and want to see him succeed. Because A24's other movie, After Sun, isn't doing that well at the box office. Um so but it's beloved. I think it might be more of a of a movie star issue. It is. I love that movie. Um, but but I, I do think the demand is there. The menu made money. Glass Onion had a great limited release. For some reason, it was only in theaters for a week. I know. I and then it. it is. I saw it at the London Film Festival. Um, it's fantastic. Please watch it. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't. But, well, I, but I, I also but like. You're sorry. Your suggestion is that we go back to longer theater runs. That can't be the answer. Well, I just, I mean, I think that it's just, it's, I really want to save, like, Tom Cruise. I really want to save movies. And I think that part of the answer is, is yeah, like, getting people excited for, for, for movies and for the movies that are in theaters. But I also think part of the answer is just getting, marketing the movie theater experience. Like, look, mm-hmm. I, I, Top Gun 2 is kind of a, a joke, but, but. Top Gun Maverick is a bonafide success even after more than a year is delayed. It's a bonafide success even after it's been released for, for almost a year. It's the exact kind of movie that we need more of because it will make people want to go back to movie theaters. I said my flatmates have seen Top Gun at home three times and they keep saying how they wish they could have seen it in theaters to the point where it's back in theaters now for a limited release and they all have tickets for it. A movie that they've already seen three times, they're willing to pay 17 quid to go and and watch it again i think that we we need and it's a a large a large part of that is word of mouth because that's how everything everywhere all at once also had a great box office run that's what i was but a large part of it is also making the movie theater experience a part of the movie like tar yeah i mean yeah i guess it goes back to the way that you market it it's not just marketing the film it's marketing specifically watching the film Mm. in theaters yeah, I mean, something that was interesting that I'm sure played into The Whale doing well, they had Q&As with Darren Aronofsky and Brendan Fraser at all the screenings. So that mm-hmm. is a big selling point. Um, I agree that the theater, the theatrical experience needs to be revamped. I don't think the way we save cinema is necessarily more Top Gun 2. I think those films are happening. They keep being made. Like, they, they are being made, and that's great. I think the other film you brought up, Everything Everywhere All at Once, that is more of an indie type film um, that generated a ton of revenue on word of mouth. Um, it's on all the lists for potentially being nominated for Best Picture. I think we need more films like that. It's a, you know, it's a creative, fun action movie, but it also was speaking to a new audience starring an Asian woman as an action star. I mean, I think for me, that's, <laughs> what's your face? <laughs> I mean, it's Michelle. Yeah, she's been an action star. Like, she was in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. <laughs> like, okay, but we were one like of the four. best action movies of all time. <laughs> I know, we were four years old. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's taken that long <laughs> for that to happen again. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, think, I think it comes down to the studios being more creative and daring with the types of films they're putting out. And I want there to be room for all of it. That's I true. want there to be room for Top Gun. And I want that studio to then say, you know, it's okay that we might we might only break even on tar because we have Top Gun. 
And then we're mm-hmm. going to take that money and we're going to go finance and take some swings, like everything, everywhere, all at once. And then some movies that maybe are bad and don't make a lot of money. And I think that's fine. And that's what's so disappointing to me about Hollywood right now. I think that like this, yeah, I agree. There needs to be like a really fun mix of highbrow and lowbrow, like fun movies and interesting movies and prestige movies. Um, but I, I think also like this is where like the Oscars can really because my brain always goes back to how do you fix the Oscars? Um, Cause I find that an easier question than how do you fix the movie industry? Um, I just think like, you just need to make people excited about movies. Again, yeah. you need to make people not just lump in uh, a movie like the Fablemans or which I'm so excited to see or Armageddon time, which I quite liked or tar with a movie like, I don't know, red notice three on Netflix. I think streaming has sort of really flattened Mm. all sort of sorts of movies you need to make people excited about the big screen and about going to movie theaters and i think like the oscars should (laughs) should get tom cruise flying flying in there on a helicopter or something like that the oscars should should celebrate everything everywhere all at once although i think that it's probably only going to get like an editing nom and maybe Mm. best supporting actor Um, I i think i mean i was i was looking at gold derby which is kind of the standard little industry website where they track what's going to be nominated which i will say top gun and tar were both on every list top gun was at the top of several lists nobody's picking tar for their best picture i will concede that um but everything everywhere was on a ton of those lists too yeah i think it'll be nominated i don't think it'll win but i just think like no um i don't know like it's just you need to get people excited about you need to get people to care about wanting to watch movies and you'd get people to care about wanting to watch the Oscars not because a celebrity might get slapped by another celebrity but because you just really want to care about seeing the movies they're celebrated um and I think that I don't know it's a big issue it's a big problem we're going to keep talking about it everyone who is in film every single person who has a film podcast talks about this but they're not women that's why you listen to us and this is um, women talking about <laughs> no I, i'm i think that's a beautiful note to end on um that's that's what we are going to aim to do here on this podcast a lot about film and as i hope we've shown with this first episode the big commercial movies, the smaller ones. I'm sure we'll be talking about TV. A lot of my followers found me through my interest in the Bachelor franchise, and I'm (laughs) sure that that's going to come up too. Uh, We're going to try to cover all of it. Um, So to round us out, we have a holiday break coming up. Is there anything you're excited, anything left you're excited to see? Oh, so glad you asked. Um, I've decided to become a big gym fan. Uh, yes. Big Jim being king of the world, James Cameron. I am so excited to out see tomorrow. Avatar 2, Way of Water. I'm flying to the United States tomorrow, and I still think I'm going to try to land and watch it that evening. Maybe like a midnight that is how excited. That is how excited I am to watch it. All of the reviews have been like, couldn't tell you the plot, was too busy looking at the incredible fish. And oh I, I, that's exactly what I want. It's two hours and like that's 300 amazing. minutes. Oh. I'm so excited. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's only two hours. <laughs> nope. It's like five hours long and I'm going to sit through all of it. What about you? Well, I think we're in an avatar renaissance. I think we went through this period where people were like, 
no, 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 it's not actually that good. I'm sorry. The original <laughs> Avatar is still one of my best cinema-going experiences. I thought I was flying through the trees. Hell yeah. It's like the only successful 3D situation that's ever happened in Hollywood. And I love, like, I've been talking to people about this and they're like, dude, have you rewatched Avatar lately? It kind of holds up. And I'm like, yeah, like, it is telling this weird white man savior Pocahontas like story about ecological destruction but like man it still slaps so i'm gonna i'm gonna agree with you for our final point here i am i'm excited to see that no more tar only avatar that's what we say (laughs) (laughs) oh my god well it's been a blast and we will be back in your ears soon thank you so much if you made it to this point in the podcast we really appreciate it good luck editing (laughs) (laughs) bye nobody asked for this is produced and hosted by marilyn minton and aishna sarkar this piece of music is gustav Mahler's symphony number five which if you saw tar you know why it's here The clip of Tar is courtesy of its trailer from Focus Features, and Top Gun credits go to Paramount Pictures. If you'd like to comment on the show or send fan mail, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Marilyn.Movies. Finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, submit a rating, and send it on to a friend. Happy holidays, and we'll see you in 2023.